Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include, but are not limited to, professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ, therefore, forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We're your hosts, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we seek to answer the age-old question, should we view singleness as a gift or a curse? So Tim, why don't you just start off in this conversation by maybe explaining to us why exactly it feels like this topic of singleness is is so prevalent in the evangelical Christian world, why it seems like almost like we're hyper-focused on uh, the point of, uh, of being single in general as Christians. Maybe, maybe just start by start there and, and kind of explain for everyone why, why it seems like this is a question that people are asking all of the time that it seems like pastors are always having to address one way or the other. Maybe, maybe just, let's just start there. Yeah, I think there's uh, several factors that are leading to that, uh, that uh, you could talk about. I think one of the main things that I would, that I think is leading to that is we're living in a world right now that seems to despise marriage and seems to despise children at almost every single conceivable level. And so marriages are uh, the, the, um, you know, statistics for the you know, average year of first-time marriages are on the rise uh, because we don't. We uh, essentially uh, are viewing marriage as a purely optional pursuit, as far as the world's concerned. And as um, you know, as sexual morality um, standards are being uh, tossed to the side, essentially, there seems to be little to no motivation to actually get married anymore. It used to be that people were operating under the old, you know, biblical definitions of. Uh, of sexual immorality, which included fornication, and at this mm-hmm. point, you know, most the vast majority of TV shows that you're going to watch are going to be uh, having individuals who are living together, who are sleeping in the same bed with each other on television. And so, as you know, as uh, fornication becomes less uh, taboo as a society, there becomes less incentive for marriage. Uh, but then, not only is there less incentive to marriage, we're actively hostile towards marriage as a culture and as a society. Um, as far as those things are concerned. And then, you know, the more hostile we actually are to the idea of marriage and children, um, 
the more that the world itself uh, seems to discourage marriage. Uh, so that, that that's happening for a variety of reasons. But then I think uh, what's happening at the church level is that uh, the church seems to be, um, you know, particularly cr- uh, progressive Christians or those Christians who seem to want to present themselves as, you know, evangelical or conservative, but essentially have the same sympathies as the left. Uh, what's going to happen is that uh, at whatever point uh, the world is pushing hard, those evangelicals who are compromisers to the core, who are fundamentally man, man pleasers, are going to be individuals who are going to basically pick up all the talking points of the world at that point and then try to put Christian uh, verbiage on it. Uh, to mm-hmm. sanctify it, and so what they what they think they're doing is they think that they're rediscovering something in the Bible that essentially we've lost or that we um, have um, we're not emphasizing like like we should. But really, what's happening deep down, the motivation is something different. It really is a there is like a desperation in many of our evangelical elites to appeal to the world and to uh, be friends with the world and to basically get applause from the world. And so then that what that translates into is some sort of um, push towards singleness uh, coincidentally, <laughs> you know, at the exact moment that the world is pushing towards, you know, singleness uh, and despising marriage. And then um, they think what what's happening is that they're being, you know, countercultural by talking about how the church idolizes marriage and all that. But then really mm-hmm. what's happening is that they're just word- worldly. Uh, and then it, there's a unique twist on that too, uh, with the uh, celibate gay Christian movement. As the celibate gay Christian movement has gained steam, uh, then you know essentially the world's telling us that uh, homosexual orientation or orientation towards sodomy is some sort of fixed, uh, immutable part of a person's character. And so then we're trying to figure out, well, how do we interact with that kind of uh, issue where? You know, sodomites essentially aren't attracted to members of the opposite sex. And so then are, are they individuals who um, should pursue singleness as Paul advocates and, and all that? So I think there's a variety of things that are happening that are pushing us towards celibacy. Uh, it's different, you know, it, obviously it's different at the, at the level of the world uh, and they're pushed towards uh, singleness. Uh, but then uh, the church is kind of basically just uh, yeah, like... Um, like a dog desperate for the approval of the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just uh, tell me what you want me to say and I'll say it, you know, but they don't mm-hmm. understand that that's their motivation. Obviously they think they're yeah. being biblical. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of people are really pushing for this idea that the singleness um, that so many people are experiencing, so many uh, y- young Christians especially are experiencing, whether whether they want to experience it or not, um, it seems like, at least in my experience, anecdotally, I've I feel like I've seen a lot of pastors kind of push for singleness as like this uh, really great gift that you get to experience, right? And so a lot of times, maybe the the young evangelical Christian will come to their pastor and say, "Hey, I'm struggling with this. I don't." you know, uh, I'm single right now. I, I want to be married someday. Um, and, and it seems like the pastor's response a lot of times is to say, Hey, well, actually, you know, this is a really great thing that you're single right now. You should view this, um, as a gift, whether it's, it's temporal or not, you should really view this as a gift. So, uh, Tim, why don't you, uh, maybe explain some of the, the thinking behind that? Uh, why exactly, is it that a lot of pastors are looking at uh, 
singleness and saying, hey, this actually is a, a, a gift that you're getting to experience right now. What, what exactly is the reasoning behind that theologically? Well, yeah, I mean, I, there's textual reasons for that, but then I think that there are other reasons for that as well. Um, also, uh, so, uh, okay. I, so I think part of what's, part of what's happening is you, you have all the, the, um, relaxing of the sexual morality kind of stuff that's happening. Uh, but then you, all, uh, so like there's less incentive now to get married. It used to be, you know, guy wants to have sex kind of thing. Girls not going to give him what he wants, <laughs> you know, to put it crassly. So then she's going to make him wait till marriage. And, you know, he's going to essentially, that's going to be a, um, something that's going to, you know, motivate him <laughs> in, in, in kind mm-hmm. of a natural way because guys seem to like that more than uh, ladies do or look forward to that more than ladies do biologically and everything else. Uh, but then kind of what's happening now is that there's a lot of people who are single because they're off pursuing careers and they're pursuing other things along those lines. Um, and then, you know, guys are, uh, you know, many guys are addicted to porn and why, you know, deal with all the work that it takes to get a woman when you can, you know, get the things that you wanted without a woman or most of, mm-hmm. you know, some or some kind of comparison. And so what's happened is there's a lot of people who are unwillingly single. And then uh, so along the lines of like there's one kind of stream of thought, essentially, which is uh, making people um, view um like talk about singleness because they're desperate to, you know, adopt all the world's ideas, you know, that are popular. So, you know, marriage is a purely optional choice. A lot of marriages are ending in divorce and everything else. And so there's some of that that's happening, but then there's also this evangelical tendency to like uh, be sympathetic to the victim essentially. Mm -hmm. And basically, so if you have a lot of people who are single and then they don't want to be single, then your knee-jerk impulse is to try to paint that singleness in a positive light and to try to make allowances for that kind of category, for that kind of individual. Like, well, what do you do if you're that kind of individual? And like, can't you be a Christian and be okay? And isn't there more to Christianity than that? And so a lot of the, you know, the unique emphasis towards, um, encouraging singleness is a reaction to the reality that there's a lot of people who are, single unwillingly and then it's uh, an attempt to kind of be sympathetic towards them in the same way that 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 attempt is being made you know at every mother's day it used to be you know mother's day services like you would have you know you'd have the ladies who had you know one kid stand up and then you have the ladies who have two kids stand up and then you do that until you get to 10 or something but then part one of the things that's happened now is that like you can't really go to a Mother's Day service if a church is going to do that kind of thing without acknowledging all the women who can't have children anymore, right, in order mm-hmm. to be sympathetic. And so, like, instead of just, like, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, you have to always play to the victim, the perceived victim. Yeah. And so part of that is what is all factoring into this idea of, like, uh, trying to normalize singleness because there's a lot of people who experience it and we don't want to act as if it's something bad right Mm -hmm. so we want to act so that's then you have to act as if it's something positive does that make sense yeah yeah like uh uh now um but so that's part of the the, that's just uh, not not the theological impulse but then the theological impulse largely is coming from matthew 19 uh essentially so uh what happens in uh, matthew 19 is you know jesus is basically 
uh, talking to his disciples and 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 telling them the true intent of marriage to be one man and one woman for for life. And in Matthew uh, nineteen nine, he says, "I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery." Uh, and the disciples basically have this uh, horrified reaction to that because it was in the law that there was some discussion that was being had about, you know, uh, if um, what is the um, um, matter of indecency that would allow uh, a man to write a certificate of divorce for a woman? Could it be as simple as uh, burning the toast or something like that? <laughs> uh, but then Jesus was essentially saying that it that the meaning of that phrase in Hebrew was that uh, sexual immorality, essentially. So it seems like he's coming down on the side of one school of rabbis over and against another. And so their reaction to that is, well, if such is the case with a man and his wife, if this really is permanent, you can't just get rid of or if she displeases you, it's better not to marry, <laughs> essentially. Uh, but then Jesus in verse 11, he said, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it is given. So that language of given, that given language is where people are getting the idea of a gift of singleness. Um, mm-hmm. So he goes on to say, you know, there's uh, there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, but let the, the one who is able to receive it, uh, receive it, essentially. So, uh, you know, their response is, like, it's better not to marry then if it's that serious. And, you know, he's saying there's only some individuals whom this is given for, essentially. So that given language is the language of where the idea of gift comes from. But then I think the idea is a little bit different than what people think with that. Okay. Okay. So it's, so you're saying basically the people who are looking at singleness and Christians today and saying, Hey, this is actually a gift that you're getting to experience right now. Uh, you're saying that the majority of that, uh, the motivation for saying that is coming from Matthew, right? Is that is that the only thing there is? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the majority of if there's any if there's any textual basis, and I think that that textual basis isn't very good for mm-hmm. what's being communicated today. But if there is any textual basis for it, it's going to be found in Matthew 19, essentially. Okay. Okay. But I think that what's being communicated in by most pastors with under the idea of the gift of singleness is not what is being intended by Matthew 19, essentially. Um, but okay. that language of being given singleness is where the gift language comes from. Okay. Well, then I guess the question that's begging to be asked at that point is if we go back to our title question and, and you know, ask ourselves, well, okay, so, so that's what uh, some people are looking at versus um, uh, like what Matthew, did you say Matthew 19? 19. Yeah, yeah, Matthew 19. 19. And you, um, you have another discussion in First Corinthians uh, seven, but then that right. First Corinthians seven isn't talking; uh, it doesn't use the gift language in the same way. But yeah, right. Uh, so uh, the question, or the given I guess, language. Okay, so I guess the question then becomes: uh, Is singleness actually a gift then, or uh, should we view it as more of a curse? Yes, G- generally speaking, <laughs> you said yeah. Is it this or that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> All right. What, what do you mean? You've got to explain yourself. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the Bible opens up with you know, essentially the command to mankind to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So that idea of being fruitful and multiply is essentially it's a corporate command given to humanity. 
And um, that corporate command is repeated um, in the Noahic covenant to Noah. Essentially, God blessed man and told him to bless Noah and told him to be fruitful and multiply everything else. So like the idea of be fruitful, multiply, that is a, that's what you might describe as a corporate command. It's a command given to the human race. It, it reflects God's um, design for mankind at a pretty fundamental level. And so uh, when you think about that command, I mean, it's, uh, it's, um, a lot of people try to get out of the idea that it's actually a command, but that, you know, in, in the Hebrew is very clear. It's, it's obviously a command <laughs> that's being given to the higher, the entire human race. And it's, um, you, you know, there's no way to be fruitful and multiply apart from marriage. And so for this reason, God gave, um, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two will become one flesh. Uh, so like the idea of, um, Marriage is marriage is meant to be a uniquely procreative union, and it's meant to mm-hmm. it's it reflects God's design for the human race at a pretty fundamental level. Uh, not only is this true exegetically, it's just true biologically speaking. So we have bodily cycles that remind us every. Uh, you know, if you're a man multiple times a day, <laughs> all day long, <laughs> you have a cycle, you know, uh, you have a, a cycle that is telling you that you were made to reproduce, essentially. Right. And if you're a lady, you have a monthly cycle that's telling you that you need to reproduce. And like, because, you know, the the uh, man cycle uh, cycle of reproduction is a lot quicker than a woman. That's why the man thinks about sex a lot more than a, a woman will. Uh, but then, um, you know, the standard, like the standard lady uh, post-marriage might only be, have sexual desire, you know, once a month near her cycle, uh, you know, apart from anything else, whereas a man's very different. But but what I'm trying to say is like, we have these biological realities that are telling us about our design. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's insane. One of the things that's happened is like, you have like, um, um, you know, biblically speaking, um, like <laughs> we, we've pro- prolonged adulthood till like 18 or something like that. And not even that really, we don't even really consider kids ad- adults at that point. Uh, but then if you think about like the biblical definition of adulthood, it's post puberty, that's what it is. But then we're basically, we're raising the age of adulthood and then we're raising the age of first time marriages to like 28 or something like that. Yeah, at this point. it's really high. And so, but think about that. I mean, how many years past puberty is that to where you have a body telling you to do something that you're supposed to ignore for years and years and years because you're supposedly, you know, so immature because you're addicted to entertainment or whatever else. So like the thing is, God gives a corporate command to humanity, basically telling him to be fruitful and multiply. And then he's designed them in such a way that their body is telling them in you know, if you're a guy every day, multiple times a day, all day long, telling you you're designed to reproduce. And then if you're a lady, it's like you have a bodily monthly cycle that's reminding you of, of your design. And so like if you just use your brain and you think about it, like uh, logically, like God's design for the human race, like for 99% of the human race is that we get married and have a family and start a family. Like that's just like, that's what the bio, that's what your biology is telling you every day on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so like, that's God's design for you. And then if you ignore that design, then it's like, um, it, you know, Proverbs tell us, tells us that the barren womb is never uh, satisfied. Right. 
just like shale, <laughs> like the barren womb is never satisfied. And, it's, and the reason why is because you have a body that's telling you to, you're designed for a certain purpose. And it's like demoralizing to know that you're designed for a certain purpose and not be able to do what you're designed to do. It's like being a hammer and not having a nail to hit, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you're just like, you're sitting there on the shelf collecting dust and, and, you know, ladies who are unable to get married and want to get married, they will tell you like, they're, you know, their eggs are just drying up, you know, like, uh, they don't know what to do. Like they're losing all their <laughs> yeah. eggs. Yeah. I mean, but it's sad. I mean, it's sad to think about, you know, I mean, but it's the same thing with like men, it, like you, like, um, like you, 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 you know, you, the natural response to that is to feel useless. And the proverb seems to validate that natural response. The barren womb is never satisfied. Like meaning like, um, there, like I, I worked a job once where I was delivering appliances and, um, like, uh, one of the things they had us do when they were training us was we took appliances from one side of the warehouse to the other. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we took all these appliances and we, took them on dollars. We moved them all to the other side. We stacked them and everything else. Then they told us to move them back, you know, and I'll, <laughs> and I'll tell you that there's nothing more demoralizing than that. You know, that's the kind of thing that Nazis did, you know, to the Jews, they make them build a wall and then tear it down, you know, like to, to, to know that like there's, you're made to like, you, when you know you're made to do something and then like, you know, you work and it, you work for nothing, you know, and you just like your work is just meaningless at that point. Like that's demoralizing and that's just the natural way that the world works. And so for 90, you know, 99% of the human population, God's designed them to be married and they know it. And that's why they don't want to be single, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now they, they may, you know, like you, if you can get, like, if you're a guy, you can get all the benefits of marriage apart from the commitment. There's plenty of guy who will take that up, you know? And then there's like a lady who you know, there's like ladies who will, if they can get all the relational security that they think they're getting uh, and have to compromise some of that, they'll, they'll take that deal too. Maybe cause they're a little nervous of the commitment also, but like, but people aren't like people, everyone wants, like there's very few people who don't want to be in a relationship of some sort, don't want some sort of pretend marriage. So, so yes, I mean like the, the overwhelming, like for, for most people, singleness overwhelmingly is a curse it is a curse, you know, it is a, 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 um, a side effect of the fall. Uh, it is part of, um, what it means to live in a fallen world. There's a lot of ladies out there who want to get married and there's, uh, and you know, there's not a lot of guys who have grown up enough to handle life and quit the porn and, you know, uh, have a job that can pay for people. And there's a lot of guys and there's guys out there. There's a lot of guys out there who are, you know, just, uh, would love to get married to, to a woman, but all they're looking out there and seeing is a bunch of shallow, superficial, you know, brain dead girls too. So like it's, it goes both ways, but, um, singleness for most people is a curse for sure. Yeah. But then the, but then I guess, uh, do you want to know if the gift part of it too? (laughs) Yeah. I, I asked if, uh, we should view singleness as a gift or a curse and you said yes. So, yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there there is a type of person like Paul who wants to evangelize the known world uh, and bring the known world, uh, bring the gospel to the known world. And there is a type of person who wants to devote themselves exclusively to, uh, for lack of a better term, just, you know, uh, full-time 
ministry, if you want to put it that way. But there's the kind of person who wants to devote themselves to the things of the Lord and needs to be freed up to do it. And so Paul says, you know, the married man is divided among, um, you know, among his concerns. He has a desire to care for his wife and a desire to, you know, serve the Lord and, and, so it might be better to be single if you're going to if you're going to try to devote yourself to the kind of things that Paul has devoted himself to. And then when you're thinking about what's happening in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about, you know, due to the present distress, it might be better that some of you may not marry because if you do, you're going to have trouble. And like when you're living in a church that's experiencing intense times of persecution, that may not be the time to get married at that point uh, and start a family. And um, um, like it may not be in in. You know, I used to, I've, I've watched like old documentaries of the Holocaust and everything else. And um, like when you're in the concentration camp, that's not the time to get married and start a family. Uh, everyone knows that's not the, like when you're in that kind of persecution, that's not the time. And that's the kind of thing that was happening in First Corinthians. But then if you watch those old Holocaust videos, one of the things that happens is that right when the war was over, what did they all do? They all got, they married. got married. They did. They did. And, you know, these skinny, like, like emaciated people, you know, look like skeletons. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden they have a smile on their face and they're getting married. And like, it's the first thing they did, you know, when they, when the present distress was over is what they did. And so, yes, I mean, like singleness um, can be a, a gift and a blessing for the type of person who isn't um, weighed down by, you know, uh, overwhelming sexual desire and who is able to have self-control and who sees himself as a person that is uniquely on a mission. Like if you're Paul, you don't want to get married because I mean, man, you, you, you're getting beaten with rods and persecuted and stoned multiple times and shipwrecked. And like, why would you want to bring a woman along on that and have to worry about protecting her? You know? Right. So, so there are scenarios where singleness can be a gift to a kind of person with a very unique kind of calling in life. But for the vast majority of people, it's a curse for sure. Okay. So, um, and no amount of telling them it's a blessing is going to help them or a gift. It, it, they don't, it doesn't feel like a gift, you know? Yeah. For, for most people, I, I know, I mean, I myself was that person at one point, um, you know, when I was young and, and, uh, just basic, you know, desperate to, find the person that I wanted to be, um, married to. I I had plenty of people who, who would tell me, you know, uh, Hey, this is a wonderful thing that you're getting to experience being single. Right. And, and it felt anything but that, um, every time it never felt like what they were saying. And, um, now I, now I don't know if part of that was because, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I was, necessarily looking for the things the right things in terms of uh what would honor god at the time you know i don't i don't necessarily think i was um but then even even looking back on it now i don't i don't know that i would have been um very much encouraged by by people constantly telling me hey this is a gift really really enjoy this being single right now even even desiring um, the things that I do now, you know, so. Yeah, I um, think there, there, there's a way to talk about singleness being, I mean, there's, there's a way to talk about these things. And so whatever God gives you providentially is for your good, ultimately. Right, right. But then God gives you trials and he gives you, 
you know, blessings. Okay. Now mm-hmm. tri- there's a sense in which trials can be blessings. If like your goal is to honor the Lord and be sanctified. Sure. Right. And so even a difficult providence uh, can be a blessing to you. So, uh, but then you, you don't have to like mix categories in, in such a way as to like, you know, if God were to kill one of my kids, like if one of my kids were to got run over by a car or something like that, like the Bible says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials for the testing of your faith is going to produce steadfastness and let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So if God, if one of my kids got ran over by a car, like I should count it all joy. Uh, but that doesn't mean I have to pretend it's not a trial, right? Right, right. That's now, I know definitely that God a trial. Ha- it's a trial. Like, and God has something redemptive planned for it, and He's going to use that to make me more like Him. No one would reg- say. No one would say, "Hey, this is a gift right now." <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's 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 like it's in one sense it's a gift, in another sense it's not. You know, it's like right. yes, it's a it's a it's a trial that God's put in my life to help purify who I am and and make me more like Him. And I can't resist the work he's trying to do in that. But at the same time, it's a trial. It's a trial. That's what it is. And singleness for like, if you're just a normal human being who, like if you're a woman and you have a monthly cycle of eggs that that, uh, are, you know, being discarded every month, you know that this is a trial. You know that that you were made to do something that you're unable to do. If you're a man every day struggling with, you know, unmet sexual desires, you know you're made for something and you're unable to do what God designed you to do. It's like a car just sitting there, you know, in the driveway, not doing anything. It's like, mm-hmm. it, it feels like a waste, you know? And so, yes, it's a trial. Like it's a, it's a trial. Now it, does God have good plan for it? Yes. But it, like we, we should not pretend it's not a trial. Uh, it, it's obviously a trial now. Like you can, God, God, God has good purposes in that. And like you, you don't have to uh, feel as if like like you can honor God as a single person, just like you can honor Him as a married person. But you should be praying in those moments, like for an opportunity to honor Him through marriage, also, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unless like unless you have some unique calling on your life to you know spread the gospel to unreached people groups or something like that, the vast majority of people like. Um, the vast majority of people, this is like, they, they know that this is a trial and, and you don't help them by telling them it's a gift. They just get frustrated with you because it's just like, like, how can this be just, um, how, how could, you know, this is not the, this is not the way God designed me, the world to be. Mm-hmm. Right. So why would he give me a command and then tell me, and then like, why do you know, he gives me a command he, and then he's designed me in such a way that I want to do it. And then I don't have an opportunity that shouldn't feel like um, just um, uh, an unmitigated blessing or something like that. So it's it's, it's definitely complicated for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you think the um, a lot of times the the advice that or the counsel that is given, I guess, um, and just in terms of what I've experienced myself and I've had friends experience this as well, um, the advice that hey, you know basically whenever someone is struggling with this idea of being single um a lot of times the first reaction from their peers and and um certain people that they're coming to for counsel 
is this reaction of like, hey, you're kind of you're you're kind of make it seems like you're making an idol out of this, out of wanting to, you know, be married. It seems like you're making an idol out of this. You really just need to be satisfied in the Lord. Um, do you think there's do you think that that's like a just a totally unfair thing to say? Do you think that there's maybe room to say that, but then it's not the most helpful thing? Or, or do you think it's something that really shouldn't be said at all? How, how should, uh, how should someone view that sort of, you know, response when you're, when you're, um, trying to seek counsel, uh, for singleness and, and dealing with, with singleness? Yeah. Hmm. There's a sense in which I, I, there, there are people who make marriage an idol, um, but then I think a lot of what's happening in the moment is maybe a little bit different than all that. Um, and so I, the only way I know how to answer that is to try to think about different types of scenarios. So I think the standard person who is unwillingly single and experience, like what, what's, what's happening on, uh, on the ground is that, uh, the standard person who's unwillingly single, they, they can't seem to stop wanting to get married. And then they're being told by people that this desire to have uh, a spouse or the sadness that comes from that unfulfilled desire, they're identifying that sadness in of itself as being a fundamentally a sign of a lack of contentment or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then that lack of contentment is then evidence that they um, have are making marriage an idol, essentially. But then the problem is the Bible says the barren womb is never satisfied. And Hannah, you know, she... So I'm, I'm using that as an example for single singleness as well, because like, like the idea of the barren womb being never satisfied, well, you can be barren because you're married and unable to have children, or you can be barren, barren because you're unable to get married, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so in either one of those kind of scenarios, like you, um, like the Bible describes that as a, the barren womb's never satisfied, meaning like, you know, if you're in a state where you're designed to have kids, then that would go with men or women alike. You, you, like, um, if you're unable to get married and do what you're supposed to do in marriage in order, marriage in order to procreate, like there's a sense in which like you're designed for a particular purpose. Your body is telling you that and you're not able to fulfill it. And so there's sadness that comes from that. So Hannah, she came before the Lord. She was barren and she, you know, had many tears and poured out her heart before the Lord and asked her to change her situation and left encouraged because she brought her matter before the Lord and knew that he would do what he would do with it. But then the thing is like that sadness in of itself, I think a lot of people, a lot of single people need to hear this. That sadness in of itself isn't a sign of a lack of contentment. Uh, that sadness in of itself is not a sign of uh, you're making an idol out of anything. It's it's possible to be sad uh, and be totally content and you still want to honor the Lord. And But then what happens is once you identify that sadness as bad, like that's a bad Christian emotion, then you get kind of stuck in this cycle of um, – essentially feeling like you're doing something wrong. And many single people, they'll essentially, you know, be praying to the Lord, please take my desire for marriage away. Please take it away. I don't want to feel this way anymore because they're being told that any, like just any sadness is bad in of itself. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And so, so what needs to actually happen is like what ne- what needs to happen is you need to realize that that sadness is going to be a normal part of being des- a human being who's designed for a particular purpose that you have no opportunity to fulfill. But then, I mean, like if your kids, like if you're married and you have kids and your kids aren't saved, what do you think you're going to feel, right? Like you're going to feel sadness, right? You're going to feel sadness. Yeah. And so just sadness in of itself, like Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was well acquainted with grief. Like you, when you're living in a fallen world, there's plenty of effects of the fall that you're going to grieve on a regular basis. And so grieving and sadness, that's part of the Christian life. And that's a normal and healthy response to the Christian life uh, that looks at like the damage that sin has caused in the world and, and grieves it. And like, so now, I mean, there's a, there's a point in which that grief becomes consuming and you're unable to move on and you're unable to take care of the basic issues of life at that point certainly you're making an idol of marriage at that point but sadness in of itself is not that right Mm -hmm. so the sadness in of itself is fine now i think we're you know it transitions into idolatry or making an idol out of marriages when that sadness becomes crippling you start you know shirking your responsibilities you quit going to church because what's the point because there's no you know attractive members of the opposite <laughs> sex there anymore so uh, or you know you stop going to work or you refuse to or you, you know you just have a bad attitude where you're constantly fussing and you're constantly complaining or you know when your uh your friends keep on getting married and you're the, you're constantly the bridesmaid never the bride and you dread ever going to a wedding because you can't rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, so the issue is like if you are uh, like there is a self-focused, self-centered kind of um, uh, sadness, but I wouldn't take all sadness and define it as um, making an idol out of everything in of itself. And I think a lot of people, they look at single people and essentially if you have a desire for marriage, they almost view you as... Um, be making an idol just by having that desire and talking right. about it. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's really yeah. bad. I mean, like when I was single, I used to, um, I, I was reading the Bible. The Bible says a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains uh, favor from the Lord. And I, you know, I'm reading Spurgeon quotes. I'm in seminary and Spurgeon says, pursue marriage like a lion. So I'm thinking, well, all right, Ruth puts herself in Boaz's field. Man's supposed to find a wife that finds a good thing. So what I think that means is that I should be enlisting help here. I don't know any single girls. And so basically what I did was I went around and I, you know, I asked all my family members, like, hey, you know anyone that's single mm-hmm. that you think I'd like that's godly, that, uh, uh, you know, is somewhat cute, um, <laughs> doesn't have to be. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I would ask around. I'm setting hey, you the wanna... bar as somewhat cute. <laughs> somewhat cute. Uh, I, I need a... Um, maybe I don't get my specific standards here, but you know, well, well, (laughs) I'm open. Uh, But no, I mean, I would ask, I would ask family members, I'd ask friends. I was like, Hey, do you know anyone, you know, anyone you can introduce me to? Yeah. Do you know, you know, any girls? I don't know. I don't have any girls I know right now that uh, are, are even remotely that. And routinely people like identified that as being desperate. And I just looked at them and I just thought, you're insane. You are insane. Like, how am I supposed to find it? A man who finds a wife finds a good thing. You know, Abraham sent a servant to go find a son, uh, a wife for his son. Like, like so. But the problem is that we've like viewed any effort to 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 find a spouse at all as being just a sign of desperation and a sign of mm-hmm. discontentment. And it's just like it's so crazy. Like it's just like what do you like? I think a lot of you know, a lot of single 
like people have bought into that basic thing and then they're just totally passive. And then it's like, yeah, you don't have any, like you might want to look into, you know, like if you're a single girl, where's Boaz's field at and put yourself there, you know? And if you're a single guy, you know, where, where are the ladies at? You may want to figure out where they are, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and list some help and be open to that instead of just looking at the fact that you need help with this. It's like, Proverbs 31 says the excellent wife who can find one. So that must mean that it's really hard. So I'm going <laughs> to, you know, I'm not going to be so prideful as to think that this is easy. So I need some help. You know, I think if single people could just normalize that, that like, Hey, who can find an excellent marriage partner? I don't know. The Bible says like, they don't know, you know, so we need to, we need some help, you know, but so. I don't know, Tim seems a little creepy. You yeah, just whatever. going around asking people if they know anybody. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, that that's that's funny though. That I didn't realize. I wasn't expecting you to say that people would think that was weird. <laughs> um, I but no, is it? They think it's weird because of what you said. They think it's weird because uh, because we're just trained that like through Hollywood that you know love just happens. It's just something right. that happens, and you fall into it and you fall out of it, and you know, and then like it, there's a lot of pride that is involved in this and it's just like my goodness like if you don't know if you want to get married you don't know anyone you might want some help you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah like you hey but tender but tender's normal though mm-hmm. tender's normal yeah. <laughs> even though it's yeah. like it's basically the same exact thing as what you were just describing just instead of going well, to your family members you're going to you know some guy out in california who who <laughs> designed an app <laughs> The popular, yeah, uh, the internet has become the popular friend who knows all the connections. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, I think people like there's um, people should be like particularly single people should be open to the idea of online dating more than what they are. Uh, but then you need to be careful with that too in certain ways. But maybe that's a different topic. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But but I mean, I think we need help. I mean, you need help. Like um, like I don't know. There's more to say about that. Okay. Well, um, you know, going back to this, this topic of, of uh, is singleness a, a blessing or a curse? You, your answer was essentially yes. And, and uh, I think what you're saying makes sense for, you know, for certain people, singleness really is a blessing, uh, especially if you're the type of person who is really, uh, uh, you know, you're the Paul type, essentially, who someone who wants to commit their entire life to, um, the spread or the advancement of the gospel, right? And and starting a family is really gonna really gonna weigh you down because there's just so much that you've got to take into account now that you didn't when you're single. Uh, but then for most people, it probably is realistically more of a curse in the sense that we have been um, we've all been designed uh, to procreate, and that happens inside of marriage. That's the way that God has designed it. And so when you, when we can't fulfill, um, the, the, the design that God has, uh, made for us, then that, that's really when it starts to become a curse. Um, I guess my question then for you, Tim, is basically to ask, well, if, if there's time, if in certain situations, singleness really is a gift, um, but then in a lot of, in probably most situations, it's more of a curse. Um, should we, should we then view singleness, um, as more desirable than marriage because fewer people really, um, 
fewer fewer people are probably going to fall into the category of singleness is a is a gift for them. Um, but then also on top of that, those are going to be the same types of people uh, more often than not that are dedicated. They're dedicating their entire lives to uh, ministry in some way. So should we then view singleness as more desirable than marriage? You mean, uh, are you talking about in terms of like a, a cru- desirable for the sake of accruing spiritual blessings or benefits or something like that? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah, the, I mean, basically the old Catholic error, error <laughs> essentially, uh, <laughs> that uh, you're more holy if you're, a, you know, a priest than if you're, right. you know, a common worker. Or, no, I, yeah. mean, I, I think one of the things that the the Protestant Reformation recovered was essentially the idea of the priesthood of all believers and that um, that you can honor the Lord just as well being a farmer or a tanner uh, or whatever else uh, as, as you do, um, you know, being a clergyman or whatever else. So I, I don't think that you have to um, glamorize singleness as if it's like a path to um, like the only way to honor God is to be single. And, and the problem with that is when the Catholic church has done that, that's why you have all those orphanages essentially <laughs> it's because you have a bunch of priests who have pursued celibacy uh, with a bunch of nuns who have pursued celibacy. And then, you know, they wear the habits and all that because they want to hide mm-hmm. the, the fact that they're pregnant <laughs> and that's where all the orphanages happen. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I think the vast majority of people, God's designed for marriage and, and it's like overwhelmingly obvious that the vast majority of people, um, God has designed for marriage. Now, I mean, at, at a practical level, yes, like you can be undivided in your attention. I mean, you could serve the Lord just as well as a married person and there are, you know, rewards in heaven to be gotten uh, for, you know, do serving the Lord as a married person, yeah, just yeah. like, just like you can as a single person. But then, you know, obviously in one sense, yes, Paul was able to evangelize the known world because he wasn't tied down to a spouse. Um, yeah, he was completely freed from that responsibility. Uh, but then the vast majority of people who are not pursuing marriage are not doing it because they want to advance the gospel and be completely unhindered uh, with the use of their time. And they're uh, not uh, struggling with overwhelming sexual temptation. The vast majority of people just are workaholics and, you know, like desperate to have some sort of relationship anyways and try to get everything they can get from, you know, get, get they're trying, they should be getting from marriage in you know, some sort of pretend romantic, you know, relationship that they're in, which is God doesn't even recognize as a real or, you know, through their stupid pets. But, uh, <laughs> well, we've already done that episode. We, we've done that <laughs> no, but I mean, most people know that they're designed for companionship. They know that, I mean, that, I mean, I, I chuckle when the person says, I wonder if God wants me to be single, you know, but then they, they jump through the, first relationship you know facebook relationship that they could find you know mm-hmm. the vast majority of people that's just not the plan that god has for them and the more that we fight it as a society the more people suffer that's that's the point okay um so i guess going along then with this gift of singleness uh maybe the question for a lot of people then is going to be um like okay you know i get it for some people, it's a gift. For some people, it's a curse. Um, it's not necessarily a more desirable thing uh, to to be the type of person who is going to be single your whole life. Um, 
so I guess then the question becomes, well, how do I know if I'm the person who is meant to be single and, and it is truly a gift for me versus, um, you know, uh, I, I'm not meant to be single, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm probably leaning more into, I'm probably fall into the category of singleness is really more of a, a curse for me. Um, how, how exactly is someone supposed to, uh, discern that for themselves, I guess? Yeah, I mean, the easiest way to discern that is just to ask them if they feel like it's a blessing or a curse. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, for the vast majority of people, they're going to feel like it's, uh, I guess, absolutely a curse, you know. Uh, now, that's um, a strange. That's a strange answer coming from you, Tim. <laughs> uh, what I mean, what I mean is, normally, you're, normally, you're the kind of person who says it doesn't matter what you feel. You know, <laughs> it matters um, what the Bible says. Uh, yeah, so I mean, there's, maybe maybe there's explain the, what you mean. Yeah, um, there there is a type of person who is like a workaholic and who, you know, works sixty hours a week and um, um, sixty seventy hours a week trying to build a company or CEO some kind of corporation, and who sleeps around you know whenever he wants and has no commitments and and no constraints and that person might think yeah it's wonderful to be single because i can you know basically fornicate with as many people as i want but then that person isn't the kind of person who is going to be an accurate judge of whether or not this is a blessing or a curse so if you constrain upon that kind of person a biblical ethic which essentially says he can't look at the porn and he can't sleep around then ask him if it's a blessing or a curse does that mm -hmm. make sense yeah so so like, is it at that point, if you're not like, so there's a lot of people who are getting all the benefits or the vast majority of the benefits of a marriage apart from the covenant. But if you take away those benefits, then you ask them, is it a blessing or a curse? They'll tell you, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So yes, they're not to be trusted in some simplistic way, but I'm just trying to say if you, if you return to an older state of affairs where, you know, there was a biblical sexual morality that people followed then you would have a better indicator at that point but i mean the gift of singleness is is um is not like it's it's for individuals who want to spend all of their time advancing god's kingdom in a very direct way mm -hmm. uh, the vast majority of, and that kind of person is going to be the kind of person who is so busy with kingdom work that you know they're not sitting there burning with sexual desire but for the vast majority of people who are burning with sexual desire or, you know, like uh, just desire intimate, close companionship with members of the opposite sex, like, and uh, are unable to, like, who are not taking matters into their own hands, and as far as those things are concerned, they're going to feel like it's a curse and they know. So does that make sense? Yeah. Um, basically, basically, Hey, if you can take away all of the benefits that, um, you're probably getting from, uh, people of the opposite sex in whatever way, whether it's, whether it's actual, you know, intercourse or it's the emotional, um, or take uh, away the pets, <laughs> take, take, take away the fur babies, um, take away those things where you're getting all of the benefits of marriage without any of the actual responsibility of marriage. And a person's going to find out pretty quick, uh, 
if they have the gift of singleness or not, right? Yeah. So, but what's happened is essentially we're living in a society right now that we're getting all the, we're trying to get all the benefits of marriage apart from the covenant. And so then what that happens is that we, we basically are like, we're getting most of like what we can get out of marriage in other ways. So then we don't see our need for it. But then the, the the kind of person who really feels like it's a trial is the kind of person who is doing the best they can to not do that kind of thing. And so for that kind of person, it's obviously a trial to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And they um, know it's a trial. They know it's a trial, and no amount of you telling them it's not a trial is going to help them. They know it's a trial. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Because um, they, yep. Yeah. No, go go ahead. What were you going to say? I mean, they just know, they know it's a trial. They know it is like, and like, because they, God's designed it, like God's designed them to get married. He's commanded the human race to get married, pursue marriage and family. They're not doing it. What do you think is going to happen? You know, like they're, Mm -hmm. they're going to feel like something's missing. They're going to feel incomplete. They're going to feel like they're not living up to the design God had for them. And we need to quit pretending like there's not something remarkably wrong there. Mm -hmm. Is that? That makes sense. Okay. Uh, now we have this category for the person uh, who is single and and has the gift of singleness, right? Uh, but earlier you mentioned that there are certainly people who are single and they're not single because they have the gift of singleness. Really, they're they're single and and unwillingly so, right? So. Um, and I, and I, I remember, I mean, all through high school, I knew plenty of people that were like, that were like this, Hey, I don't, I don't want to be single, but I am. And I just feel like I can't, um, I can't find any, anyone who's suitable, uh, for whatever reason, or the people who are suitable, uh, they're, they're not interested in me for whatever reason. And so, um, they're single, but then they, they don't want to be single at all. Uh, what exactly what exactly is that person supposed to do? We so we know marriage is a good thing. People should pursue uh, marriage like a lion. Uh, there, are, there's another category of people who are single and and they're meant to be single. Um, uh, they they just don't have necessarily all of the uh, you know like sexual desires and, and whatnot. They want to advance the kingdom uh, in a way that most people can't. But then there's that third category of people who are single. And unwillingly so is uh so what should that person do? I mean, should they uh and then the follow up question would be, are they guaranteed uh to to get married one day? Are some of those people I don't I don't know if this is like I mean just totally depressing terminology to use, but are some of those people doomed to be single? Um, despite their desires to be married, um, so that, that's t- a kind of a follow-up question too. But uh, overall, what what should those Christians do? What would, what advice? What counsel would you give them? Yeah, well, part of what we've been talking about is advice to them. Meaning, um, like if you just imagine a person who has, like, is missing an arm or is missing eyes or something like that, like. Like you know that the human body is typically designed with two arms and you know that the human body is designed to have two eyes and if your eyesight doesn't work or your sense of 
like smell doesn't work or your sense of taste doesn't work or you're, you're missing a limb. Everyone knows that there's something missing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, we don't need to pretend like do some kind of like pretend, like live in pretend world to where, Oh yeah. You know, the vast majority of the world is designed to have eyes that work and mine don't work. So what do you call that? Or you call it a trial, right? You say it's a trial. Right. Blindness for you is a trial. You're missing an arm. That's a trial. Like to, you know, God says be fruitful, multiply to become one flesh. Part of you, like just being single should be profoundly unsettling and a trial for most people. And so I think like the person who is single and unwillingly single, I think it helps just to call it what it is. Okay. <laughs> Like the more that you try to call it like a, like this is a gift, this is a gift, this is a gift. It's like, no, this is a trial, you know? Now trials are gifts too, but they're different kinds of gifts, right? <laughs> so so trials are gifts. Um, and then, um, you know, ble- trials can become blessings, but then there's blessing blessings and trial blessings. And so just think mm-hmm. about it the way it actually is. And so part of it is like that. I, I would encourage people who are unwillingly single to um, have – the kind of backbone that um, I tried to have, like being a single person, is just to say, hey, the Bible says, you know, the man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Ruth seemed to put herself in Boaz's field. I would encourage people who are single and unwillingly so to not be so proud that they're unwilling to put themselves in situations that um, uh, were you know people like put themselves in Boaz's field ask for help I mean I would ask for help I would say hey if you know anyone I'd like to if you know anyone a godly person to introduce me to I don't know where to look you know and like that isn't a sign of weakness that's a sign of like this the Bible says it's impossible to find so without God's help you need God's help so I mean I think um the Bible says you do not have because you do not ask and you ask and do not receive because you ask and miss to spend it on your passions. I would pray like on a regular basis, Lord, uh, I wouldn't pray all day long, every day, all day long. I would pray. I would just come up with some regular amount of time. You're going to pray about this, uh, meaning like, hey, I'm going to pray about it once a week or something like that. Define what's reasonable and w- define the difference between regularly praying. You do not have because you do not ask and then just being a like consumed and worried, filled with worry all day long. And you have to keep on asking because God might have had amnesia. So figure out what the difference between persistence is and like obsession. So I would, I would be praying about it. I would ask other people to be praying about it. I would ask other people to introduce me to people about it. Uh, you know, introduce me to p- people. I, I, you know, don't be so proud that you can't do that. Ask for help. Like, I mean, um, don't be, I mean, a lot of people who are unwillingly single, they go on a, you know, a blind date or two and they get so discouraged that it was so depressing and everything else that they just give up. You know, I wouldn't give up. I would just persist, you know, persevere. You know, like it's obviously hard, like persevere mm-hmm. with that. So, I mean, I would encourage them to, um, you know, one of the things Doug Wilson says with that is uh, you might want to, um, you know, consider, I mean, obviously at a bare minimum, I would say you want to go to a church where the type of guy you'd want to marry if you're a girl would go to that kind of church. So don't go to some, you know, uh, crap mega church or, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that they're all junk. I'm just saying that I wouldn't go to some church that theologically you wouldn't align yourself with. I go to the kind of place that 
that you would want to find the kind of man who would want to go there or the kind of woman who would want to go there. So make that your priority. That may mean arranging your affairs and moving, you know, to a place where like, uh, I would take it that seriously to where you'd say, Hey, I want to be at a godly place. And if I don't know any godly churches around here or good churches, I'm going to find that, you know, and not just so I can find a spouse, but because that's so important period. But then also because, yeah, I want to put myself in the right kind of place. Doug Wilson talks about, you know, with like, uh, like, um, like a, a father might want to have a, a travel budget for his daughter, you know, to go to conferences or uh, like Christian conferences in order to meet Christian people. Um, mm-hmm. Like as like that, I would encourage doing that. You know, I would think about the idea of online dating. Um, you know, that can be depressing. I wouldn't go to do. I mean, there's a lot of like reform single kind of things nowadays that can help with that kind of thing. So, uh, and like, there's some cautions I would do with online dating for, for sure, but I, I I wouldn't categorically dismiss it as a, as an option as well. I mean, I think it's, um, it's very hard to know people from a distance, uh, without putting yourself in their life in an intentional way. And so there's some safeguards I think you can do to do it well that, uh, but I, I would, I would be open to that idea and list help with people to do that too. Like I, I, but you know, so, I mean, those are just some things, but, um, the, the follow-up to that was, um, yeah, no, no, I mean, I think, pers- well, before I get to the follow-up, I, make sure that you're, you know, the old advice, you know, run after God as fast as you can run after him and see who's running with you. I think that's true. Like, I mean, I think, like the goal of a Christian life isn't just to get married. It is to be sanctified. Now, marriage can be a profound source of sanctification for you, but I would I would encourage people, you know, if you don't, if you're unwilling to follow God, if he doesn't give you a spouse, then like he's not your Lord, you know, finding a spouse is your Lord. Mm-hmm. So be like, this is a test. It's a trial. It's a test. And, and you know, you might want to see how you're doing on that test like the testing of your faith is designed to produce steadfastness what is it producing in you is it just turning you into an ungrateful person is it turning you into an uncommitted person an unfaithful person are you just letting yourself go mentally physically spiritually because you didn't get what you want well you know you get married you're going to bring all that into marriage like so be you know be the kind of person god calls you to be determine in your heart that you'll follow him no matter what he does you know though he slay me yet will you trust him uh but then um you had a follow up with that um too that i've lost now that i've rambled yeah um the follow up was basically for the person who's uh oh, unwillingly single are they guaranteed to one day find, uh, you know, Mister Right or whatever, or, or are they are some of them actually doomed to still be single? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, with any trials in the world, when sin enters into the world and sin per- takes pervasive hold on a society, there are consequences to that. And so, if you think about like issues of war and famine and pestilence. You know, there, there's been different times throughout the history of nation uh, of uh, our nation and other nations where a significant portion of the young men went off to war and died. You know, and that meant that um, you, there was a lack of proportion of finding spouses at that point. Uh, the ratios are off at that point. The ratios are <laughs> off at that point, and so well, what do you do? You know, go to the polygamous route or what? You know, no, I mean, that's a joke, but. Um, like the point though is just to say that sin can 
take hold of a society. And the consequence of that is that many people are faced with this particular unique trial. And so there's no um, guarantees, obviously. But I would say you do the kind of, like, if you want to be faithful in little, God typically, general as a generality, will give you much to be faithful over. So mm-hmm. determine to be faithful over little so that maybe he'll bless you with more. If you if you're not even faithful with yourself, why do you think he's going to give you more? Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, be fa- yeah. so, but that isn't to say that everyone who's single is not being faithful with what they've been given. It might be that they are faithful with what they're given. They're looking around. They don't see faithfulness too. Right. So um, you, you just remember the example of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham died in faith, not receiving all the promises. And so there's, you know, part of um, following the Lord might mean that there are some blessings that you have to wait you know, uh, you, you may never receive in this life and you might get the better picture of it later, uh, but you determine to live as Christ and to die as gain. So, uh, so there's no guarantee, there's no promise, but generally speaking, um, it, it, generally speaking, um, uh, God, you know, often blesses faithfulness and, and, you know, there, there is the kind of person who refuses to follow the Lord if he doesn't give him a spouse and, you know that kind of there there is that kind of person who might need to you know learn if you're faithful over low you God's given you much to be faithful over does that make sense yeah yeah and you know i think overall in this conversation hopefully one of the things that is really sort of freeing for people to hear is just uh that it's okay to uh, call you know singleness what it is uh, for that person, which is a trial, right? So um, I, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are probably listening or or um, people who who are people who are listening who are experiencing this right now and probably people who are listening to this and and have experienced singleness, uh, unwilling singleness at some point in the past. and um, uh, you might have received counsel from a lot of other people saying, Hey, essentially, you know, this is, this is a a great gift that you're getting to experience. And, and if you're trying to resist that gift, then you're doing something wrong when the reality is there are just times in the Christian life where God allows trials. And, and like, like Tim said, um, there's a specific reason that God is allowing those trials to happen uh, primarily being the uh, the producing of steadfastness in your faith, so that you will be made perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. And so, hopefully, for people listening, that's a freeing thing to hear. That uh, singleness uh, for a lot of people is a trial that that you go through uh, for a while, and, and it's okay to call that a trial. Uh, oh, go ahead, Tim. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I, th- I think there's there's something to the old advice that I, I would want to salvage to that. Okay. Um, I mean, singleness, yeah, is a trial of its own, but then a hard marriage can be a trial, right? In a different kind of way. And so th- <laughs> yeah. there, there there is a sense in which, like, um, if you want to honor God and you want to serve Him and you want to follow Him and you want to do that more than you want to breathe. Singleness does provide you an opportunity to throw yourself into that in a way that is undivided, uh, for mm-hmm. sure. And and so there's a sense in which you know if you just devote yourself to following God and advancing His kingdom, 
Like for some people, marriage might, you know, honestly be, um, be a, a hindrance for them following the Lord because they, they get married and they thought the person was a certain way, but it, it, that person is just constantly trying to pull them away from right. serving the Lord. And so there, there is like a sense in which like, Hey, you know, as a single person, you're never more free to follow God than you are right now. And you should take advantage of it for sure. But mm. at the same time, like there's, um, in, uh, I, I would say that a lot of people in that kind of scenario, they're not really doing a whole lot with their life of substance. And then what they find is they, you know, they have a lot of free time on their hands where they're just sitting around thinking and they don't have a lot of godly work to be doing. And then it feels like, singleness is amplified like for them in a destructive sort of way and i would say well throw yourself into a godly work uh don't just sit around in your house by yourself and stare at walls and mope right yeah (laughs) find something to do you know take it yes take this opportunity to serve the lord as much as you can uh you know like when I was single, I read the Bible way more than I ever did, you know, <laughs> afterwards, just due to time constraints, you know, I yeah, can sit there yeah. and bury my face in the Bible. So it was an opportunity. There is a sense in which it's a blessing. Sure. You know, I bet, but so I don't want to overreact, but then at the same time, it's just like, it also is like, like, um, it is like having an arm amputated in another way. And let's not pretend it's not. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, when you're in a situation that's outside of your control, uh, we should still be taking advantage of it as much as we can in terms of uh, trying to honor the Lord. Um, and even though singleness is um, a, a curse, you know, a curse for a lot of people, uh, it, it's a trial to to face. That doesn't necessarily mean you you try to escape the trial um, by. The first pretend it doesn't you know, pretend it's not there or whatever or yeah right right and so so it's definitely not um it's definitely not like a uh just because this trial is happening means that you escape it the first opportunity you get whether it's a wise choice to make um you know in that certain situation or not there's certainly wisdom that still needs to be applied in that kind of scenario but hopefully hopefully overall it is freeing um, for people listening to just be able to say, Hey, look, you know, God allows trials to happen. And maybe that, maybe this is just a trial that God's allowing to happen, um, to you. And, you know, maybe one day he'll, he'll remove the trial from you. Um, or maybe he won't, but, but the hope there is to know that, uh, he's not, God is not doing it for no reason. He's doing it for, he, he, he allows trials to happen for our own sanctification. And so we should rejoice uh, knowing that we have that kind of promise and uh, and really seek to honor the Lord um, as well as we can uh, despite our circumstances. So uh, hopefully this has been a helpful conversation for you guys. And I would say, you know, when it comes to this kind of thing, singleness, if you're the kind of person who is going through this right now, who feels like you're facing this trial and, and you really don't know um, what to do in your specific situation, then we would ask you just reach out and email us um, at biblebashedpodcast at gmail.com and, and we can try and set up a, a session uh, where we can counsel you through your specific scenario and, and hopefully try to help you uh, uh, 
figure out how to how to navigate uh, the circumstance you're in right now. And and if you're the person listening who knows someone who's dealing with this type of thing, definitely share this uh, episode with them as a resource and and let them know they they can reach out to us as well uh, because because we definitely want people uh, going through this to be equipped really to honor the Lord and bring him glory and, and um, you know, not be unnecessarily frustrated uh, uh, because they just, they don't understand why this is happening and, and perhaps they're getting some, um, you know, unhelpful or uh, unhelpful advice uh, from from peers or whatever. So uh, we want to thank you guys again for listening to this episode. We thank thank you guys for all the support and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys again on the next episode. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting us through Patreon. If you would like to be Bible Bashed personally, then please know that we also offer free biblical counseling, which you can take advantage of by emailing us. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.